ask you, it was said already uh, about Luke chapter 2 being that familiar uh, Christmas passage. So let's read that. I, I'd like to read that if you would turn to Luke chapter 2. Uh, Luke chapter 2. We're good, Johnny? All right, Luke chapter 2. I'm going to start at verse 1 of Luke chapter 2. The Bible says, And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. And all went to be taxed, every one into his own city. And Joseph also went up from uh, Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, into Judea, unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And they were in the same country, shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you was born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. And this is just, I mean, if you just, I know we hear it was so Charlie Brown drunk on this, like we know this story so much, but if you really take it in, this is an absolutely amazing event in the history of the world. I mean, one of the most amazing events to ever happen to the world happened 2,000 years ago around a stable in Bethlehem. But look at verse number 8, and I do get excited about the Bible. For our visitors here, I'm not angry, I just get very Italian, all right? Uh, But look at Luke chapter 2, verse number 8. It says, it was nighttime, and some flocks saw it. I mean, some shepherds saw this. You know what that tells me? Most of the world missed it. (laughs) Most of the world missed this great event in the middle of the night. For most people around Bethlehem, that time of the year, for most, Jesus Christ coming was just another silent night. He came, he went, and it was just like, all right. And if you look at verse number two, verse number one to three, if you just scan those verses over, you know why I think everybody was sound asleep that night? You know why? Because everybody was so busy being taxed by Caesar, they were sound asleep. I mean, you had to get the camels going, you had to get your stuff going, you had to go travel here, travel there, you're in a foreign place, you're trying to pay this money. You see, it says in verse one, taxed, verse two, taxed, verse three, taxed. I mean, these people are just so taxed and burdened and overwhelmed. I think they just hit the hay, literally, and just went to sleep. And whether those angels were singing or the Messiah was being born, nobody noticed it. It was just a silent night. And like Caesar, can I tell you something? Like Caesar... I'm still not used to you being this close. I'm getting used to it. Like Caesar, the God of this world wants to tax the whole world. He wants to burden you. He wants to push you down. He wants to get you coming and going. And the devil, that's the God of this world. He wants to make you so busy, 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 and so stressed, stressed, stressed out, and so taxed that guess what? You're just too tired for Jesus Christ. You're just too tired for the Bible. You're too tired to pray. You're too tired for church. Because I know you're working 60 hours a week and you're chasing the dollars and you're doing this and you're doing I get it. I get it. I'm there with you in the trenches. I'm there with you. Not this week, though. I'm a teacher. I'm off this week. So I'm not there this week. But I'm with you. Right? We live in this New York minute and it's like, oh, you know, and that's by design. To get you so overwhelmed, so Jesus, oh, church, oh, I, I got to let that go because I got to just, you know, decompress. Listen, my challenge to you this Christmas and always is, are you going to miss the Savior? Right? Are you going to be asleep on what He's doing in your life and what He means? Is the Lord's coming going to be just another silent night for you? That's my, that's my title today if you're looking for one, silent night. Silent night. Well, are you going to be asleep on Jesus Christ 
what he wants to do in your life. Let's have a word of prayer, and then we'll jump into some verses here. Lord, we love you today. We thank you today. We thank you for the sweet spirit here, Lord, the space you gave us. Lord, I know it's, it's humbling, Lord, to be moved about like pilgrims, but Lord, it's a blessing, Lord, you always provide for us, Lord. We thank you for letting us be here and things working and hands that made it happen, Lord. I pray you'd bless everybody here. If someone's sitting here, Lord, and they don't really know you, they know of Christmas, they know of maybe a baby in a manger, but they never realized that that baby grew up to die in a cross, not to just start a religion, but to actually bear their sin and pay their debt and deliver them from hell. Lord, I pray that will become very real by the power of your Holy Spirit today. Give us understanding in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I like this big wooden pulpit. I like this. All right. Uh, so go to John chapter 1 if you could. We're gonna, we like to flip around some verses here. John chapter 1. I'm going to give you some things that you don't want to be sleeping on in this silent night. I think you want to wake up and pay attention to these things. John chapter 1. Number 1. Don't sleep on the power of His coming. You don't want to miss that. This is a powerful thing. Don't sleep on the power of His coming. You know, when we got here a couple of weeks ago, and me and Eli and, and Terry, and we came to look at this room that we were renting, you know what one of the first things we did was? We checked where the outlets were. <laughs> because nothing is going to work without power. And the first thing you got to realize about Jesus Christ coming to planet Earth is He was bringing some serious power with Him. He had some serious power that He was bringing here. John chapter 1, look at what that power is in verse number 9. John chapter 1 verse 9, the Bible says, That was the true light, speaking of Jesus, capital L, which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made by Him, and the world knew Him not. He came unto His own, and His own received Him not. But as many as received Him, to them gave He, watch it, power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on His name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Do you see what Jesus Christ's coming meant there? The coming of Jesus Christ is the power of God to become a son of God. It's the power of God to save you from your sins. What did that angel say? For unto you was born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. That's why He came. That's where the power is. Look at verse number 13. There's no saving power in your sinful life. Not of your blood. Your blood is bad. Your blood, you got sin in your body. You got sin in you. You can't save yourself. So there's no saving power in yourself. And then he says, verse 13, nor of the will of the flesh. There's no saving power in your old nature. This hand that always wants to reach for the wrong thing. This mouth that always wants to say the wrong thing. This brain that's got too many bad memories in it. That's not going to save you. You can't will yourself to Jesus Christ. You can't will yourself to heaven. And then he says, nor of the will of man. There's no saving power in your life. There's no saving power in your flesh. And there's no saving power among your race of people. You know, humankind, we can't figure it out on our own. Even if we got the brightest and best all together. You know, we'd make an A-bomb. If we got the brightest and the best together. We'd make something to destroy ourselves. Not reach God. That's how we roll. That's the problem. And in verse number 12 says, how do you get this power? You connect to God's power to become God's son when you believe. Amen. And not believe like, oh, like you believe in the tooth fairy or the Easter bunny or anything like that. Sorry. But you believe on his name. You believe that Jesus Christ is who He says He is, did what He said He was going to do, and He has the power that you don't have to save you from sins that you committed by being sinless in your place to die on the cross. When you come to the end of yourself and the end of your flesh and the end of what you're looking for man to do, and you realize, Jesus Christ, You are the way, You are the truth, You are the life, You are the only way, I trust You. You know what God says? He says, all right, I'm going to give you the power now to become my child and you're born again. That's what happens right there. But you want to see the tragedy? Verse 11 is the tragedy. That the people God had prepared missed the power God sent them. It was right there. He dwelt among us. 
He became one of us. He walked our streets. He felt our pain. He was weary and tired and pierced and all the things. He was tempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin. And the most of the world missed him. Will you miss him today? It would be a tragedy for you to miss him. For Jesus Christ to have stood in your place and gone to that cross and went to hell and rose again and held out his hand and said, I got the power to save you. Will you take it? Will you take it like you took those gifts this morning? Somebody held out a gift to you and said, I would like to receive that gift and make it mine. And God the Father holds out a gift in the name of Jesus Christ. Says, would you take my son? Would you take my son? Hey, as many as received him, not the church, not the sacraments, not the this and not the that, not the, you know, whatever, received him. To them gave he power to become the sons of God. Now look at verse, go back to Luke chapter 2. Let me show you something about this. Who did see it? Who did see it? All right. Luke chapter 2. Look at verse 15. You want to see who did see it? Luke chapter 2, verse 15. And it came to pass, as the angels were gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, Let us now go even unto Bethlehem and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. Hey, when those shepherds heard about the Savior, they wanted to see Him for themselves. How about you? Huh? Can I make you a little uncomfortable? How about you? You hear about a Jesus Christ that came to earth. People have been talking about it for 2,000 years. People have been singing about him for 2,000 years. People have been willing to give their lives for him for the last 2,000 years. Are you honest enough to say, let me investigate these claims? Let me see for myself what that Bible says. Let me see for myself what the, the truth says. Let me just see for myself. These shepherds said, hey, I'm hearing some good news. I want to check this out myself. And if you look at verse number 16, look what happens. I hope you've checked. Uh, have you checked it out? Have you checked him out? Hey, check Jesus Christ out. I challenge you. I dare you. I dare you to investigate the claims of Jesus Christ and search the Bible and see if it isn't the most unusual book you've ever read. It's the most different book you've ever read, the most peculiar book you've ever read. It's not a bunch of fairy tales about here's how you know, do this and do that. It's a history book of the universe. It's God's plan of redemption. It's the truth itself. I challenge you, if you checked it out, you'd say, hmm, this is a very different book. Let me see what it's all about. Look at verse number 16. You know what happened when they went to see? 16. And they came with haste. That's an honest man. They said, man, if this is God died, born in the flesh, I better check this out. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And when they had seen it, watch it, they made abroad, known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. Listen, they saw Jesus Christ. And when they saw him with their own eyes, they said, I got to go tell somebody about this. They published it abroad. They spread the news far and wide. What was told them, then they saw it for themselves. They said, man, I got to go tell some people. Listen, if you have seen the Savior yourself, how can you, Christian, sleep on his saving power? Hey, has anybody here seen Jesus Christ himself in the pages of this book? I don't mean he walked across your backyard. That was bad pizza. But you actually have seen the claims. You've tried it. You've proved it. You've tasted and seen that the Lord is good. You've seen him change your life or reach in your family or just turn your heart, break up your fallow ground. You've seen something. How can you not tell somebody else? How can you, you know what? How can you be such a different person on the job? Well, I'm a Christian. How come you don't do the other things the guys do? Well, I'm saved. What's that mean? Well, let me tell you about it a little bit, right? You know, I, I, you know what? The Lord will give you those opportunities. He'll give them to you. I had a kid this week in school, and this is all God's grace. I, I, I moderate the Christian club at school. I don't do anything. I open the door. I sit there. When it gets weird, I try to rein them in. And they're sitting there, and they go, the kid walks in and goes, what club is this? He's one of my students. He goes, this is the Christian club. And I mean, I'll tell you, I'm, he goes, you moderate the Christian club? You seem like a pastor. I just started to laugh. I said, okay, I don't know why. I couldn't, you know, I didn't blow my spot. But you know what? People are going to look at you, and you're a devil. I know you're a jerk, but God will cover that stuff up, and he'll make you look like a half-decent guy. You know, somebody will say, hey, what's different about you? How do you not noise abroad the saying? How do you sleep on that? Look at verse number uh, 18. i got to hurry here. The mistletoe is going to fall. 18. Uh, and all they that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. 
But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told unto them. Listen, if you become a son of God by faith, you should be like those shepherds. How can you not tell others? How can you not just glorify God? Just praise the Lord, guys. Just praise Him today. Thank God for the gifts. Thank God for your home. Thank God for your family. You know what? Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise ye the Lord. Can we get an amen right there? Right, we should get an amen. Amen, amen, amen. Listen, my son had a long day at Sloan on Friday. That's why he's not here today. He's still banged up a little bit. But you know what? If I knew the power to become cancer-free, how could I not tell everybody else at Sloan Kettering? I'm going to sit there like this, twiddling my thumbs and just, you know, oh, nice, nice, nice port. You know, what am I supposed to do? How can I not tell other people if I knew? And how, if you know the power to be saved from hell, how can you stay silent today? How can you stay asleep? You know the answer to the biggest problem that man has ever had. You know what Charles Spurgeon said? A great quote that's going to bother you like it bothers me. If I, he says, if sinners be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our dead bodies. And if they perish, let them perish with our arms wrapped about their knees, imploring them to stay. If hell must be filled, let it be filled in the teeth of our exertions, and let not one go unwarned and unprayed for. I'm going to warn you up front. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, I'm after you. I hope I make you uncomfortable. I hope I bother you. I hope it gets inside your head and you don't get any sleep tonight until you call on Jesus Christ and realize He is the way, the truth, and the life. And I don't care if you never walk in another church service ever again. I just want to make sure your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. That's all we care about here. That's not a gimmick. I'm not fronting. I'm not joking. That's the God's truth. The Bible says we're supposed to tell people how to get saved and the rest is up between them and God. Amen? That's, our, that's one of our goals. That's why I think the Lord revealed this to shepherds. Because shepherds are the ones that are supposed to lead people the right way. So he said, I'm going to reveal this to you, shepherds. Everybody else is going to miss it. But I'm going to reveal this truth to some shepherds. And I hope these shepherds will be faithful with the truth they've seen. We've got any shepherds out there. I hope we've got some shepherds that are faithful with the truth God gave them. That they could lead somebody else to Jesus Christ. Listen, I know you can make noise. Amen. Amen. You make noise on next week at around 1201. You're going to make noise, right? You're going to make noise on New Year's. You're going to bang a pot, launch a firework, scream, kiss somebody, clap. You can do something. A bunch of people are going to be freezing out in Times Square, yelling or screaming, even through their masks, right? They're going to do that's what's going to happen. It's going to happen, right? I see at a ball game. I go to a ball game, right? You're going to make noise. You're going to yell. You're going to cheer. You're going to slap something, right? You're going to make a lot of noise, but you're going to stay silent for Jesus Christ. Especially at the time of the year when at least people are giving them a token second of attention. Hey, seize the day, man. Seize the opportunity. Make some noise. Man, two days ago, we get this thing from work. Two children, maybe you read this, two children in Staten Island died in a house fire. Five and six years old. Died in a house fire on the North Shore of Staten Island. We got a notice from it because they were students in our school system. Five and six, I don't know the details, I don't know what happened. But I do know this, if I knew that their house was going to go up in flames, I'd have made some noise. I said, don't go in there, come on, come on, let's get out. I'd say, it's going to go up in flames, come on, come on. they say, no, no, it's fine. I would have made some noise, I would have implored them to get out of that house and get to refuge and get to escape, right? Wouldn't you? Wouldn't you make some noise? Look, we're surrounded by people. Their houses are going to go up in smoke one day, proverbially speaking. Spiritually speaking, it's all going to burn, folks. You know what we're supposed to be doing? Hey, 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 come to Jesus Christ. Come to Jesus Christ. Come out of that house. Come into God's house. Come to where Jesus Christ is. Would you make some noise? This time of year especially. Go to Ephesians chapter 3. I'll move off that, don't worry. Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3, look at verse 20. Let me give you some other power here. It's the power to save, but if you look at Ephesians 3, look at verse 20. All right, Ephesians 3.20. How are we doing? Are we okay? We want more heat? We need anything? All right, take a bagel. Ephesians 3.20. How about this for you, Christian? You say, well, I'm saved already, and I got my tracks in my pocket. That's great. We got some Christmas ones, a few left over. You can grab a few of those if you want. I got like a literally a handful. But Ephesians 3.20 says to you, believer... Now unto him that is able to do exceeding 
abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. If you've seen the power to save your soul, let me get an amen. Amen. Well, then don't sleep on the power to save your life. Don't sleep on his power to change your life just like he changed your destination, but let him change your ride. Let him change your walk. Let him change your attitudes. Let him change your vocabulary. Let him change your behavior. That power is inside of you, not just to save your soul and stop there and say, I'll see you on the other side. He wants to walk with you and talk with you and transform your life by the power that works in us. Look at Ephesians 1. That's where you got to start. Look at Ephesians 1. Look at verse 15. You know that's God's prayer for you? You want to know what God is praying about for you right now? God is praying right now. His son, Jesus Christ, is praying that his... Spirit would give you the power to change your life and you would know the power that works inside of you now. Ephesians 1 verse 15. Wherefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and love unto all the saints, cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. Here's the prayer. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of His calling and what the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints. And watch it, verse 19. And what is the exceeding greatness of His power to usward who believe, according According to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead. The same power that resurrected Jesus Christ from the dead lives inside of you if you're saved. That's some serious power. Power to raise the dead to life is the power that lives inside of you if you believe. That's where God wants you to start. That's the first chapter of Ephesians. What's Ephesians about? The church. What's Ephesians about? The body of Christ. What's Ephesians about? Being a Christian today. Where does he start? With his prayer. I hope you learn about God's mighty power. I want you to know about this mighty power that God has given you. You know where it ends? Go to chapter 6. Then we go through all this wonderful stuff. Chapter 2, what God did to you. Chapter 3, the mystery he made you a part of. Chapter 4, the walk he's doing. Chapter 5, right, the holiness you're supposed to live with. And then chapter 6, he gets to your case. He says, all right now, man, it's ready. It's time to fight. It's time to get out there and stand for God and take up that armor and be that good Christian soldier. You know where he ends the book? The same place he started the book. With his power. Amen. Ephesians 6, uh, 6, 10. Finally, my brethren... Be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. He says, I want you to start with the power. And then at the end of the book, I say, I want you soldiers to stand in my mighty power. That's where you're supposed to end up. A soldier. You can't charge hell with a squirt gun. You can't break those habits. You can't change the way you think. You don't have the power. If not, he wouldn't have died on the cross. But when he died on the cross, he broke the power of sin to take you to hell so you can go to heaven. And then he wants that power to keep working and keep working to redeem your life from destruction. Man, go to, don't go anywhere. Um, Romans chapter 1 verse 4. You don't have to turn there, but it's the first time the apostle Paul talks about the church, about power. You know what he talks about? He talks about the power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. That's the power that lives inside of you. And in jail, near the end of his life, Paul's an old man. He's in jail at the end of his life. And he writes to the Philippians and he says, you know what I want to know? I want to know the power of his resurrection. I want to know how to take this life and raise this life from the dead. I know my soul has been saved and my spirit's been quickened and my name is written up there. He said, I know I'm already sitting up there, but I still got to walk down here. I still got to mingle down here. I still got to deal with this rotting corpse down here that betrays me and troubles me and plagues me and bothers me. He says, I want to know the power of his resurrection. That power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead can raise you to new life sitting here today he could change something about you because living inside of you is the son of God who alone has the power to resurrect himself from the dead if you're saved Jesus Christ lives inside of your body his spirit lives within you and if that person who rose again from the dead lives inside of you that means deduction therefore You have the power to live a resurrected life. You have the power to be different. 
You have the power to be holy. You have the power to change your ways. It's not in you. It's in Him. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and then we'll leave this point behind. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. I know we feel weak. I know we stumble and fall. I know we make mistakes. But you got to just keep coming, man. Just get up and keep coming. And you know what? You'll get there. You'll get there. You'll make a thousand mistakes. But you just keep coming and God will direct your steps. He'll move you in a different direction. He's got the power inside of you. Uh, 2 Corinthians 4.7. The Bible says, But we have this treasure in earthen vessels. That's your body. I know you may don't feel like a million bucks, but God says there's a treasure inside of you if you're saved. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, watch it, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. God says, you know what I'm going to do? This is going to really make the angels scratch their heads. This is going to make the devil go crazy. He says, I'm going to put my spirit inside of saved people. I'm going to take those old bodies, those houses of clay that degrade and fall apart and give you aches and pains where you need hip surgery or shoulder surgery and all that stuff. And I'm going to put my spirit inside those bodies that nobody could glory in themselves. They'd have to give God all the glory because I'm going to put my power inside of weakness that my strength may be made perfect in weakness that the power may be of God and not of men. Go to chapter 13. Look at chapter 13. I know you feel weak. Amen? I'll say amen for you. I know you feel frail. I know you feel like, I can't do it, Pat. I just can't be all I see in this Bible. You know what I would say to you? You're right. You can't. You can't. I can't. But he can. And if he lives inside, if you just give him the wheel, he'll steer you in the right direction. Look at it says over there in chapter 13, verse 4. It says, For though he was crucified through weakness, yet he liveth by the power of God. For we also are weak in him, but we shall live with him by the power of God towards you. He says, even though your flesh is weak, the vessel is weak, there's this powerful treasure living inside of you. Just like Jesus Christ, he might have looked weak dying on that cross, but then the power of God resurrected him. You might feel frail and weak, but the power of God can resurrect your life. And one day will resurrect your body off this earth. Look at verse 5. You know what he says right after that? Examine yourselves, whether ye be in the faith. You know what he says right after telling you about all this power? He says, you need to check yourself out and take stock in yourself. You might be saved, but are you walking in fellowship? Are you tapping into that power that lives inside of you? Are you tapping out all the time? Tapping out of church, tapping out of Bible, tapping out of fellowship, and you're wondering why you're not getting the victory. You're wondering why life's not different. You're wondering why the Bible's stale. You wonder why church is boring. You wonder why prayers don't seem to be getting answered. Because you're tapping out all the time instead of tapping in. If you tapped into that power, you'd see some things. Is there anybody in this room that ever gave something to God and was disappointed? No. <laughs> Set you up, right? Anybody in this room that ever really gave something to God and wasn't disappointed? Amen. 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 Of course, you give something to God, you're not disappointed. But you got to tap in instead of tapping out. Examine yourselves. Are you in fellowship or are you asleep? Asleep and on it. You know what D.L. Moody said? He said, when a man has no strength, if he lean on God, he becomes powerful. You got to come to the end of just like when you got saved, you got to come to the end of yourself. If you want to change your life and see God resurrect your life, you got to say, Lord, I'm still weak and frail and I can't hold myself up. Lord, I'm just going to lean on you. You know what that does? That when you stand on a rock, you're powerful. You're not powerful, but in him, you're very powerful. Go back to Luke chapter two. Let me give you one other thing to sleep on, not sleep on. Don't sleep on the power of his coming, folks. All right? Don't sleep on it. Amen? Don't sleep on it. Go back to Luke 2. Let me give you another one. Luke chapter 2. Look at verse number 9. How about this one? Don't sleep on the promise of His coming. Don't sleep on the power of His coming, and don't sleep on the promise of His coming. You know, in Luke chapter 2, in that silent night 2,000 years ago, so many promises of God were being fulfilled. Everybody missed it, but so many. I mean, as early as the Garden of Eden, God was promising man a Savior would come, Genesis chapter 3. As soon as they fell, God said, don't worry, I've accounted for that. And that promise was coming true right there in that silent night. 
You know, Jesus Christ's first coming fulfilled at least 48 prophecies. At least 48. Make me one prediction about yourself this week. Try to make a prediction about something you don't know this week. Try to make a prediction about somebody on the other side of the world that you've never met this week. See if it comes true. Let's get all 50, 60, how many, 70 of us, and let's all write a story about what's going to happen to this guy that we don't know. And let's put all those stories together and see if they harmonize. That's the Bible. 40 authors, 1,500 years, three different continents all over the world, different languages. They didn't know each other. And there's at least 48 prophecies that came true just from Jesus being born 2,000 years ago. You know what that reminds me? Don't ever sleep on this book. It comes true every time, the way God said it, where God said it. Luke chapter 2, verse 9, they said again, Lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, What beautiful words, fear not. You know, his life started with an angel saying, Fear not, and his life ended with an angel saying, Fear not. I think God wants you to fear not. (laughs) Fear not. For behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. You know what the message from heaven was? You don't have to be afraid. You can trust the promises of God. You can't trust me, and I can't trust you. We might do our best, but we're going to fall short of it. But you know what? You can always trust what God has said. He will never disappoint you. You see verse 11? In that silent night, they said, for unto you is born this day. In that silent night, heaven reminded anyone paying attention of his promise. There was a promise made that Stephen read earlier this morning, for unto you a son is born, unto you a child is given. And then this angel shows up and says, for unto you is born this day. He said, I'm fulfilling the promise that was made 700 years ago. Go to Isaiah 9. Let's look at that again. Isaiah 9. This is 700 years before Jesus Christ came. There's no text messaging. There's no Instagram. There's no anything. Nobody knows what anybody else is doing. Wouldn't that be a wonderful day, right? When nobody doesn't know what everybody else is doing. But you know what it says in Isaiah 9, 6? There it is. For unto us, what did the angel say? For unto you. And there's the prophecy, for unto us. Because he always existed. He wasn't born in, the pe- in, in eternity. But for us, he had to be born in time and born in a human body. But he always existed. Unto us, a child is born. Unto us, a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. 700 years before he came, God promised to give us a holy child, a son that was going to fulfill God's plan. It's all right in that verse, you know. God's plan for the universe is in that verse. First coming, he's going to be a son. Second coming, he's going to have the government. Eternity, the whole thing goes back into God, and he's he's the Father, and the Father is him. It's all right in that verse. Some of you think about that for the rest of your life. You'll get it. You'll get it one day, right? But go to verse 1. You see verse 1? Look at verse 1 of chapter 9. Look what it says there. I want you to show you the Bible is so precise, just in case you doubted it. The Old Testament is so precise, and God is so precise, he even told you where that sun was going to spring up. He even told you where that light was going to pop up and show itself. Look what it says. Nevertheless, the dimness shall not be such as was in her vexation when at the first he lightly afflicted the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, and afterward did more grievously afflict her by the way of the sea beyond Jordan and Galilee of the nations. The people that walked in darkness have seen a great light. They that dwell in the land of the shadow of death, upon them hath the light shine. What land is he talking about? The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. You know what that is? Northern Israel, Galilee, where Jesus Christ grew up and spent most of his time. God said, that's where the light's going to be hanging out most of the time. And 700 years, he didn't just throw a dart and say, I think a boy a boy's going to be born. No, he said, he's going to be born right here. He's going to grow up right here. And that's where that light's going to shine. God was telling you the location of the Messiah's life and ministry in Galilee 700 years before he was born. And Isaiah didn't know John. And John didn't know Isaiah. And Matthew didn't know this one. It's God's hand over all of it. Just making it come to pass. Amen, amen, amen. amen. Now, listen. 
just, just, just humor me with this thought. If Jesus Christ came the first time, like the Bible says, amen. amen. If you have any doubt about that, I'll show you another 50 prophecies if you want. But if you got an honest heart, you're going to say, amen. He came the first time. I mean, it is 2022. 2022 from what? I wonder why we changed our date of history at some point 2,000 years ago. I wonder why all of history changed about 2,000 years ago. I know why. Oh, oh, I know why. I know why. Because God came down to earth 2,000 years ago and literally changed the course of history. Has he changed the course of your history? I hope so. But you know what? If the Bible says Jesus Christ came the first time, are you sleeping on the second coming? I hope not. Because Jesus Christ fulfilled 48 prophecies at least the first time he came 2,000 years ago. But if you know anything about your Bible, there are hundreds more prophecies of his second coming hundreds more of his second coming. So if he fulfilled the first 48 at his first coming, I mean, and there's a probably about conservatively about maybe two or three times that for his second coming. No, I should say six times that conservatively for his second coming. Are you going to sleep on his second coming? Don't fall asleep on his second coming because he's coming. Now look at, I'll show you the second coming is right there in verse number three. Thou hast multiplied the nation and not increased the joy. Sounds like the first coming, right? The nation was there, they came back, but not everybody was too happy. But you know what it says after that colon? The joy before thee, according to the joy in harvest. And as men rejoice when they divide the spoil, for thou hast broken the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, as in the day of Midian. For every battle of the warrior is with confused noise and garments rolled in blood, but this shall be with burning and fuel of fire. That's talking about the second coming. Folks, the promise of a son is not just about his birth. It's about a battle that's coming that he's going to win. No blood is going to get shed on his side. It's not going to be like a usual battle. During a usual battle, people get killed on both sides. When he comes again, nobody's dying on his side. He's just going to burn them all up and whack them. Right? That's an old Italian word for whack them. Right? He's just going to, he's going to whack them. Right? He's going to take them down. And in verse number four, he says, look at four. It says, the son, that sweet little one that grandma, you know, put the plastic thing in the manger, you know, on Christmas. Because if you didn't put it in earlier, it was a, you know, Cape Cod. You, put it, you can't put it in early. Right, you got to wait. I get it. I'm Italian too. Right? But you know what? That sweet little baby in the manger, he's coming back to crush the enemies of Israel like Gideon threshed the Midianites. And you read in Judges chapter 7, when Gideon came down from that mountain with all his armies behind him. That's you. And that's a picture of the second coming of Christ when you come back with Jesus Christ and you just watch like Gideon was the only guy with a sword. Jesus Christ is going to be the only one with a sword and he's just going to be whacking everybody and you're going to be like on that white horse going, come on, Jesus, yeah, get him, get him, let's go. And you're going to be thrilled, excited. Now, I watched some videos. Mike sent me some videos of Johnny doing some, uh, some, 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 what is that, MMA, mixed martial, all that good stuff, fighting the other day, and I like it. I like a good fight. I like to watch one. I like to not always be a part of one. I used to do Taekwondo, but I like, you like watching. Like, yeah, yeah, that's good. I watched it. I said, I'm not going to mess with you, Johnny. I'm not going to mess with you because I don't want to get an arm bar or anything like that. But you know what? When you watch Jesus Christ put down all the evil and all the corruption and all the crookedness and all of this and all that, you know what you're going to do? You know, yeah, yeah, you're going to hit that steed so you can get a little closer to see what it's all about. But I know what the world has told you. The Bible says in 2 Peter, there shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lusts and saying, where is the promise of his coming? You've been saying it for so long. For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. You know what Satan has done? He's just lulled even God's people to sleep. And he wants to lull you to sleep about one of the greatest things, the greatest thing that's ever going to happen, the second coming of Christ. He wants to lull you to sleep. Why? So you're not ready when he comes again. So you're not watching for when he comes again. Because you know why he doesn't want you to be thinking about that? Because that little baby that was born, he came to fulfill a greater promise, to bruise the serpent's head. 
to bruise the Antichrist's head, to crush those villains like grapes get squashed. So you know what you need to do, Christian? Wake up. Wake up because He's coming again. And when He comes again, He's bringing a kingdom with Him and He's bringing everlasting righteousness with Him. And all the crook and all the stuff that vexes you and you don't want to watch the news anymore, guess what? He's going to make it all right. When He comes to judge, He's going to make it all right. He's going to fix it all. He's going to make it right. He's going to say, come here. Bow the knee, bow the knee, bow the knee. And every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And if you're saved, you get to be in on that. You don't have to lift a finger. You get to be in on that. But if you're not saved, you're on the other side of that. Don't be on the other side of that. Don't be in front of Jesus Christ when He comes again. Be behind Him. Much safer behind Him. Amen. Don't sleep on that promise because the Jesus that came before He's coming again. As sure as you sit here today, He's coming again. You're going to see Him with your eyeballs. He's coming again. And don't forget that like Gideon's army, you're coming with Him, church. You're coming with I know they make you think like you're, you know, you're this weird Christian. I don't want that Bible. I don't want this. I don't want that. One day, they're all going to admire you. They're going to be looking at you and seeing Christ in you and saying, whoa, Wow. You understand that is the climax of the Bible. Amen. The Bible's not about his birth. The Bible's about him coming again. Amen. For every prophecy of his birth, you find two or three more about him coming again. Amen. Right? About two-thirds of this Bible is probably about him just coming again and bringing that kingdom with him. That's the climax and the theme of the Bible. The second coming of Christ. Don't fall asleep on it. Go to Matthew chapter 4. I got one more point after this. I'm hurrying along. Don't worry, the U-log is still burning. All right, Matthew chapter 4. Appreciate your kind attention. Matthew chapter 4. I want to show you how much you can trust the Bible and how much you could trust Jesus Christ and His promises. Matthew chapter 4, verse 12. And I get excited. I want to run around the room. Um, I just, I hate religion. I don't know how to sound religious. I guess I should get up here a little more pious and be like, Dearly beloved, let us today ponder the riches of these profound truths and allow them to just saturate our minds and permeate our souls so that you and I might be transformed, renewed, and sent forth like Doves out of a window. I mean, if it's the truth, don't you just want to holler and scream and say, hey, this is the truth, right? And I got, you, you might not know it the way I talk, but I do have a lot of education, right? And I can talk that way, but it just makes me want to throw up. I told my wife, and I've told you before, when I start sounding like that old, those old professors, like a wounded horse, just shoot me and make glue out of me. At least I'd be productive instead of just sounding like an old blowhard. I mean, if it's the truth, man, people that have the truth talk plain. They talk plain in the Bible. They talk Jesus Christ. Talk plain. Paul talked plain. Despite his education, you know what? Around here, we talk pretty plain. Right? We just, we don't really care too much about religion. And in Matthew 4.12, you're going to see the precision here of Jesus Christ. It says in Matthew 4.12, Now when Jesus had heard that John was cast into prison, he departed into Galilee. And leaving, now watch this. You're going to, I'm going to explain something in a second. And leaving Nazareth, he came and dwelt in Capernaum, which is upon the seacoast in the border of Zebulun and Naphtali, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, by the way of the sea beyond Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people which sat in darkness saw great light, and to them which sat in the region and shadow of death, light is sprung up. Didn't we just read that in Isaiah? Yes, we did. 700 years before he came, he made that prophecy. But do you notice, please, please notice that everything Jesus Christ did was meant to confirm God's promises. You know where Nazareth is? Nazareth is in Naphtali. You know what Capernaum is? Capernaum is in Zebulun. Do you know what that verse says? 
Jesus grew up in Nazareth as a kid, right? But he did a lot of his ministry in Capernaum. Do you see what that Bible says? It says in 13, he left Nazareth and went to Capernaum, verse 14, that the prophecy might be fulfilled. He said, well, I spent some time in Naphtali. Now I got to go spend some time in Zebulun because I got a prophecy 700 years ago that I was going to come from Zebulun and Naphtali. And just in case I make sure both of them are covered, let me head over to Capernaum so I can fulfill one of my father's promises. Do you see how precise the Bible is? Do you see the care? Jesus Christ is dying on the cross and he's ticking through all the prophecies and he says, ooh, ooh, I got to ask for drink. I got to ask. I thirst that it might be fulfilled. It is finished, right? That's, he says, it is finished. Yes, the atonement was finished, and the fact that he fulfilled all the promises of God, it was finished, guys. For all the, what a Savior's right. Don't sleep on his promises. Don't sleep on this book. Don't sleep on the fact that it's going to come true. Right where he said it, where he said it, how he said it, and he's never going to have to dip the colors to do it and prove it true. That's somebody you can trust, man. That's not somebody that's trying to like, you know, you know, got a knife in there behind them and say, oh, I love you. I love you. And then you turn around, ah, you know, they get you. That's, that's how people are. That's not how God is. God says, here it is right here. Sixth grade English, 75% one syllable words. It's not as hard to understand as you think. The these and the thous, they mean you. You got it? That's it. And you just read them and you get it and you're good with it. That's it. That's it. All the promises of God in him are yea and in him, amen, unto the glory of God by us. Folks, just for one more second. We have the promises of God. We have them. But we got to cash them like checks. You might get all those checks today, right, kids? You got all those checks. If you don't cash those checks, guess what? They're useless. They sit there. They get stale dated, right? Like that $600 check I found this week for my salary that I didn't cash from last year. I got to get a new check issued, right? They get stale dated. But you know what? You know how you cash your checks? By faith. You believe God, and God says, all right, I'm going to deposit that in your account. Amen. You know what Moody said? God never made a promise that was too good to be true. Amen. You know what William Carey said, great missionary to India? The future is bright as the promises of God. Amen. You know what Corey Ten Boom said? She went through the Holocaust. She said, let God's promises shine on your problems, and then you don't have to be asleep. So wake up. Last thing, go back to, uh, go back to Luke chapter 2. I'm going to finish with this one. This is my shortest point. Thank you for your kind attention. I know it's a busy day. I'm aware of that. But I'm thankful that you're able to take some time. Strange thing we're living in 2022 where you got to like, and I don't mean this the wrong way, you got to thank Christians for coming to church on Christmas. It's a strange, we've come to a strange place, you know, where it's like almost like, well, you know, I'm not coming. Oh, gotcha, gotcha, okay, got it, all right. Understand, okay, No, nobody was asking, but I'm uh, I'm glad, you, I'm glad you came today. I'm glad you took a little bit of time for the Lord. I mean, it is supposed to be his birthday, even though it's not. We know it's not. He was born in September, October. But if this is a time when people recognize it, then, hey, should we at least give him a, have a party or something like that? <laughs> right? Luke chapter 2. Last thing I don't want you to sleep on. Don't sleep on the purpose of his coming. Amen. Don't sleep on the purpose of his coming. They're all Ps. I know. Don't sleep on the power. Don't sleep on the promise. And don't sleep on the purpose. The Why? Look at Luke 2, 7 one more time. It says, And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger. Because there was no room for them in the inn. Why was Jesus Christ born in a manger? You know, you mange. You mange. Manja, right? A manger. Why did God choose a feeding trough for animals? The God of heaven who hung the stars also was incarnated and born and laid to sleep that night on a manger where maybe a goat stuck his snout somewhere to grab some feed. That's what Jesus Christ would... You ever think about those things? You ever think about why? The purpose of why he came like that? I'll tell you a little bit. There's probably more, but I'll tell you a couple, two things and then we'll go. In that silent night where the world had no room for Jesus, I'm too busy, too taxed for you, Jesus. So when the world had no room for Jesus, you know God revealed his purpose by having his son be born in a manger? Jesus Christ was born among animals. Why? Because he's the Lamb of God. That makes sense. 
because he's the Lamb of God. And as the Lamb of God, what was he going to do? He was born to die, like all those Passover lambs. Why? To reconcile people back to himself, to reconcile a fallen world back to himself, to reconcile you today to Jesus Christ and to God again. Amen? That's amazing. Who thinks of that? Would you have thought of that? The greatest Hollywood producers would have thought of that. If they thought of that, they would have just been ripping off the Bible. There are no original plots, somebody said. It's just ripping off something God said thousands of years ago. Hey, there's a song in our hymnal that we didn't carry with us today. Born among cattle in poverty sore. Living in meekness by Galilee's shore. Dying in shame as the wicked ones swore. Jesus, wonderful Lord. Isn't that wonderful? The God of heaven was... Can you just think about that? The God of heaven was laying there in straw and rags while some goats were neighing and doing whatever they do and animals were there and it stunk. You think God doesn't have time for you? He's not locked up in some gold box somewhere. He's not locked up in some palace somewhere. He's not behind bulletproof glass somewhere. He's laying right there where any beast can get him. To reconcile you back to God. Jesus Christ didn't come to share teachings or start organizations. He came, you watch it, to restore broken fellowship. That's why he came. To restore broken fellowship. Whitfield was a great street preacher around the time of the American uh, War for Independence. And Whitfield said, Jesus was God and man in one person. That God and man might be happy together again. You're an enemy of God if you're not saved. You're estranged from God if you're not saved. You're alienated by your mind, by wicked works if you're not saved. If your sins are not forgiven, you've got on you the thing that God hated so much, He let His Son die on the cross. And that debt is still hanging over your head. And God says, you're an enemy. But God came, Jesus Christ came, to restore that broken fellowship. To make peace where there was enmity. Go to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1. Turn the heat up just two. Are we, are we cold in here or warm? How are we feeling? Good. good? All right. Good. We're good then. Keep it, keep it where it is. Matthew 1. Look at verse 21. Matthew 1, 21. A familiar verse. And I am circling the wagons. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus. Jesus means Jehovah saves. God saves. For he shall save his people from their sins. Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. I can't get over that. I know the guys like to sing Hark the Herald because I know that's one of my, partly because that's one of my favorite songs. I, I sing it in Easter. I have. I'll sing it in the summer. I think it's an amazing song. You know what phrase grabs me the most in that song? Pleased as man with man to dwell. Amen. Jesus, our Emmanuel. That God was so pleased to restore that fellowship that He'd come down to this wicked, cursed earth and put on a skin bag like us and suffer in our place. Why? So that we might be reunited with Him. Pleased as man, with man to dwell, Jesus, our Emmanuel. You know, it says right there, Emmanuel is God with us. God's with you. Are you with God? See, that's the problem. God's with us and for us and wants the best for us, wants to take us all the way, but we're just not with Him. God, I'm not with you. I ain't with that program. I ain't with that. I No, no, no. So, okay. The way of transgressors is hard, man. Just take your lumps and you might end up going to hell if you keep rejecting Him. But you know what? If God is with us, why would you not take Him up on His offer? Man alive, it just makes so much sense to do it. Let me give you one more thing. John chapter 6 about that manger. That manger, where you manja, manger. You know what else a manger was? Not just a place where the animals hung around. A manger, go to John 6, a manger is where the animals would feed. They stick their snout, their face, their whatever in there, and you know, get what they had to get. Yeah, that crude, man. I mean, there he is, and the pig's probably like, when are you going to get out of there? I'm trying to get some of my stuff. You know, the goat's like, are you done having a baby? Because I need to get some of my stuff over there. Right there, that's where the animals would feed. You know why? 
Because Jesus Christ didn't just come to restore the broken fellowship. He came to keep that fellowship alive. He came to keep it going so you could feed and keep that relationship strong and growing and thriving. Look at John chapter 6. Look at verse number 32. John 6 verse 32. Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Moses gave you not that bread from heaven, but my Father giveth you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is He. It's a person, not a process. For the bread of God is He which cometh down from heaven and giveth life unto the world. Then said they unto Him, Lord, evermore, give us this bread. And you wouldn't have to worry about gluten in that bread. You wouldn't have to worry about anything sticking into you in that bread. That's that's heaven's bread. That's God himself. That's Jesus Christ. 34, give us this bread. 35, and Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. But I said unto you that ye also have seen me and believe not. Jump to verse 47. 47. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me hath everlasting life. I am that bread of life. It's like, hello, McFly, right? I am that bread of life. Your fathers did eat manna in the wilderness and are dead. You know how they got that manna? They put it in their mouth and they ate it. You know what? They died. So what we're talking about here is not something you put in your mouth because they put stuff in their mouth in the Old Testament and they still kicked the bucket. He says, no, it's not physical bread. I don't want you to put my foot or my toe or my arm in your mouth. Look what he says in verse 50. This is the bread which cometh down from heaven that a man may eat thereof and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Jesus Christ came to be our bread of life. Why? To nourish us and strengthen us. Why? So that salvation He gave you can grow and you can grow and that fellowship He restored can continue to thrive. But I know He starts saying, "I'm I'm the bread, I'm the flesh. People start looking at Him like... What are you talking about? Verse uh, 57. As the living Father hath sent me, and I live by the Father, so he that eateth me, even he shall live by me. He says, you get the metaphor, right? I live by the Father, right? I'm in fellowship with the Father, and I'm alive because of him. I live by the Father. So if you eat me, you'll live by me. Did Jesus Christ... Bite the Father and devour the Father? Of course not. You know what he did? He stayed in fellowship with the Father, and that kept his spiritual life going, right? He stayed in fellowship with the Father as a man, and he kind of kept that communion. He says, the same way you could stay in fellowship with me over this bread, and your spiritual life can grow and thrive. Keep reading, just in case you missed it. This is that bread which came down from heaven, not... N-O-T, that means negative, not as your fathers did eat manna and are dead. He that eateth of this bread shall live forever. These things said he in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. Many therefore of his disciples when they heard this said, Ooh, this is a hard saying. Who can hear it? Like, What are you talking about, Jesus? When Jesus knew in himself that the disciples murmured at it, he said unto them, Doth this offend you? Really? He's like, are you tripping on this? You're going to stumble on this? What? And if you shall see the Son of Man ascend up where he was before? Hey, you think it's about you eating me physically? What are you going to do when I ascend to heaven? I'm not here anymore. Then you're really going to be in trouble, aren't you? If it's physical bread, if you've got to physically eat me, then, oh my goodness, what are you going to do when I ascend up? Where are you going to turn? Then you're really going to be stumbling. Then to just clarify any of the misnomers, he says, it is the Spirit, 63. It is the Spirit that quickeneth. The flesh profiteth nothing, and the context is His flesh. Even if you could eat a piece of Jesus sirloin, guess what? It wouldn't do you a ton of good, any good. You've got to have that spiritual connection. He says, the flesh profiteth nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. But there are some of you that believe not. Do you see? It's all been about believing. Verse 47, believing. You eat this bread by believing God's words. Hey, it's spiritual food. So you can fellowship with God and have your spiritual life grow and thrive. 
And if you want that, you can have that. But God's not going to force that on you. You know what the holidays remind us? Especially us Gavone Italians. I'm one of them. I can say it. I can disrespect my own culture. Holidays remind us that a lot of our, you know, fellowship revolves around getting together to eat. What are you going to do today? Come over and just open presents and then go home? You'd be like, I got gypped. <laughs> Come to my wedding. Here's the thank you for the money. Where's the food? <laughs> Where's the beef? I mean, you know, that's it? <laughs> Can I get seconds? I mean, a lot of our fellowship is, revolves around eating. Come over, we're going to have Thanksgiving dinner, Christmas dinner, uh, the wedding supper, right? We're going to get together and eat. So much of fellowship revolves around getting together to eat. Do you get the picture? God sent His Son, the bread from heaven, that you might have fellowship with God around this book. So you can get together and eat. And that relationship that He died on the cross to give you can grow and thrive and transform you. But see, you've got to work at that. You don't have to work at salvation. But once you are saved, then you've got to work. Then you've got to put the time and the work in. You know, you can get married and say, I do. And that's a wonderful moment and do all that. But you know what a relationship is? It's work. It's, it's investment and reinvestment and time and energy and work. Why? So that thing that you pledged and was so important to you grows and thrives. Say, thank God I'm saved. Are you saved? Say, amen. amen. Thank God you're saved. But are you doing anything with it? God gave you a million course meal down here. 1,189 chapters of good food here. Are you feasting on it? Or are you just too busy? You're too taxed. I know. You're so busy and you got to do this and you're so busy doing that and you got to blow the leaves and you got to paint the room and you got to go this and you got to do that. And what are we so busy with? Who's taxing us like this? God or Caesar? That you stay asleep when God says, hey, why don't you eat a little bit? You probably don't eat only once in a while, right? Oh, I ate last month. No. You're definitely not Italian. (laughs) Uh, I'll eat when I feel like it. Yeah, when you're like starving, I get it. You eat every day. Yeah, amen. That's one honest person. You eat every day, right? You like, man, so if you get nasty with somebody, oh, it's because I didn't eat, you know. I didn't eat so I could turn into a monster and scream at somebody. And then when I eat, it's like, um, that's okay. Now I can talk. I'm normal again, right? We have a whole word in the English language, hangry. Don't go near Pat. He's hangry. You know, we eat all the time. God says, you're going to eat once in a while. You're going to eat only when the doctor gives you a bad report. You're going to eat only when it's like the high holidays. You're gonna, or you're going to eat every day and build a relationship every day. How can you ever grow into all God wants you to be without fellowship around God's words? Last verse, Revelation 3. Last book of the Bible, Revelation 3. God knows us. He's got us nailed to the wall. He knows exactly how we are. And when God was going to write about the church in the last days, which is the church of Laodicea, you know what the trademark of the church of the Laodiceans was? That they were no longer feasting with Jesus Christ. They were no longer eating and communing and having that fellowship. Revelation 3.20 says it. This is Jesus Christ knocking on the door of His own church. And He says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock... If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. That's not a salvation verse. That's a verse directed towards a church. And he's saying, hey, you're so busy, busy, busy that you got me on the outside of your life. You got me on the outside of your stuff. I can't even get into your life. All I want to do is just open up the bread, break the bread and sup with you, supper with you, eat with you. Why? So we can have some fellowship. So our relationship can grow. You don't love your life, your wife one day a year, do you? You don't just wait till the anniversary to say, I love you, honey. If you do, we'll probably be doing some counseling soon. Right? You don't spend time with your kids only on their birthday, do you? Right. All right, it's your birthday. What's your name again? All right, let's go. Great adventure. Fantastic. All right, I'll see you next year. You don't do that. You don't have any relationship if you do that. Right? No relationship. Have you been lulled to sleep and to thinking that one day here and there is enough for Jesus Christ? You've been lulled to sleep, man. Caesar's taxed you too much. You're too busy. 
If you think that just a day here and there, a moment here and there, I'll have a relationship with God. No, you might be related to God and saved, but you don't have much of a relationship with God if it's not an everyday, I love you, Lord. I love you too, son. Let's, let's, let's have something to eat. Okay, Lord, what do you got for me today? Oh, that one's tough, Lord. Yeah, I know it's tough, but you got to work on that. You're an idiot. Okay, all right, Lord, thank you. How about this? Well, I like that. Yeah, that's a promise for you, son. I'm coming back. I will come again and receive you unto myself. Oh, you like that? Why don't you sit there for a little while? Think about that. Oh, that reminds you of this verse over here. How about this verse? Why don't you write that one down? And you, you know what? And you just start feasting. Amen. And that relationship grows. Folks, the whole thing is about fellowship. Amen. The whole thing in the Christian life is about fellowship. It's about walking with God. It's about fellowship with God through Jesus Christ. So when I say don't miss the power and don't miss the promises and don't miss the purpose, you know what I'm really saying? Don't miss Him. Don't miss Him. I'm closing my Bible. How many Israelites... Miss Jesus Christ first coming in that silent night 2,000 years ago. How many? I don't know. Most of them. What's the parallel? How many Christians will be asleep in this other silent night when Jesus Christ comes again? You know this church age we're living in? You know what it's called? It's called the night. Don't sleep on the Savior because Jesus Christ is coming again very soon. Don't. If you, is one thing you get, don't let the devil tax you so much that you have no time for Jesus Christ. No time to get ready. No time to watch. Because folks, the second coming of Jesus Christ is coming soon and it is the greatest event in all of history. It is the pinnacle of God's plan. It is the climax of God's book. It is everything that He's about. You're happy about the cross? You know what He's happy about? The crown. That's what the Father's looking for. And all for eternity, He's going to look back to not the first coming, but the second coming. When my son came and got his rightful throne. That's what he's looking forward to. That's what excites God. He's coming. Don't be asleep. Therefore, let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. Let's bow our heads. Thank you for being here today.